0: Um, Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, help us now as we approach your word. We pray that we will hear your voice. For Christ's sake, amen. Isaiah 61 is a passage of scripture that is often read in churches during the season of Advent. This was written by the prophet Isaiah. He's a man that was born in the 8th century B.C., and this is a chapter of the Bible that foretells the work of That's to be done by the Messiah, by the the anointed Savior King that God promised he would send into the world. So this is talking about the work of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 4, we read of an occasion when Jesus was in a worship service in a synagogue. He stood up in front of the people and read the opening verses of this chapter of Isaiah 61. And then he basically said to the people, this is talking about me. He said, this is about me. I'm the Messiah. This is my mission. This is describing what I came to do. So this is talking about the work of Christ, the Messiah. So you see why this is often read this time of year. During the Advent Christmas season, we're we're, we're thinking about when the angel told the Virgin Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah. Or we're singing about the the, the shepherds in the fields at night, the angel tells them that The Messiah has been born. So, this is an important passage because it just tells us what the Messiah came to do. This is all about the Messiah's mission. So, as we look at this, I want to just point out for us three three things that I think we can learn or infer um, about the mission of our Messiah by thinking about this passage. And, And the first thing that I'd point out, notice here, did you notice? Did you notice how complete? the Messiah's mission is. He has a complete mission. Um, sometimes when I, was, uh, when I was a kid, sometimes my mom would tell me to clean up my room, and maybe I would pick up my toys, but I wouldn't make my bed, right? Or I'd make my bed, but I wouldn't hang up my clothes. In other words, I, I, I didn't do a complete job, right? Well, listen, Jesus the Messiah is not like that. When he he comes to deal with the effects of sin, he comes to do the whole job, to deal with all of them. You say, what do I mean, all of them? Well, all the effects of sin. You've you've read or you've studied probably Genesis chapter 3, that passage where Adam and Eve rebel against God. They they sin against his word. And um, immediately when they do that, what what we come to learn is that human sin really has messed up. The whole world. I mean, it's messed up everything. For example, remember when they sin, immediately their sin has alienated them from God. Remember how they hide in, in the trees in the garden? They don't want to be near God anymore. And, and, and sin, it's, it, it, it's, it fills every single one of us with a sense of, of inadequacy and shame. Remember how Adam and Eve had to cover up with the fig leaves? And, and sin destroys harmony in interpersonal relationships. You remember how Adam and Eve, who had been so in love with each other, suddenly after they sinned, they start blaming each other, turning on each other. Harmony is gone. In fact, some people have suggested that all conflict and all war and all abuse and all violence and all oppression in this world are the result of human sin. It's, It's really messed things up. And do you remember in that story, Genesis 3, when God comes to Adam and he explains to him that now because they've sinned, he says now um, working the soil is going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be really hard to keep everyone fed from that point on. And, and he talks about, how, you know, from dust you are to dust you'll return, how now every, everyone's body is going to grow old and get sick and wear out and die. So you would say that human sin has brought what into the world? It's brought poverty it brought hunger, it brought disease, it brought hardship. So you see what I mean. Human sin, we, it has really messed up everything. Isaiah 61 tells us that the Messiah's, the Messiah's mission is to fix all of that. It, it's, a, it's just complete mission. I love the one line from the, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Don't you love this line? Isaac Watts wrote this. It says, he, the Messiah, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. In other words, every, everything that's been broken or damaged or marred or soiled by human sin, the Messiah comes to fix all of that. What a complete mission. Now, here, here's why this is important for us to notice, because we, we especially in, in our day, we tend to have kind of a reductionistic view of the work of Jesus. We tend to think that the only reason Jesus came was to get us into heaven, right? Give us a hall pass so we get out of hell. Give us a ticket so we get into heaven. That all he cares about is saving our souls. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus, Jesus, said, that, Jesus said that heaven and hell are real. That everyone in the world will spend eternity in one of those two places. And he, and he did come to satisfy the wrath of God in behalf of all those who trust in him so that they never go to hell, so that they go to the kingdom of heaven. Right, we, we don't want to forget that. But don't reduce his mission to merely saving our souls. I mean, the picture Isaiah gives us is, is, is this, this full orbed mission of the Messiah. He comes to do all, for example, in verse 1, if you just look at that one verse, we see that the Messiah will come to deal with what? With poverty. He comes to bring good news for the poor. And, 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 he, and he will come... To, to comfort people who are broken inside, those who are depressed, those who are discouraged. He comes to bind up the brokenhearted, and he comes to help those who are oppressed, right? He, he says, freedom for the captives, and for those who've been failed by the judicial system. He says he comes to release prisoners from darkness, to set people free. So the Messiah is concerned with more than just saving our souls. Again, in verse 4 and 5, we talk about how sin, sin has... Um, Brought interpersonal conflict and anger and division to the world. In verse 4 and 5, you see the Messiah coming and, 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 and making a world in which human community flourishes. Where, where it's restored. You, you read here in verse 4 and 5 of ancient ruins being rebuilt and places that are devastated being restored and, and immigrants being welcomed into society and offered jobs just like everyone else. It says strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields. So you see what I mean? He comes to make his blessing flow everywhere. Every, everything touched by sin as far as the curse is found. His. His, his, the miss, Messiah's mission is nothing more, nothing less than just fix the world. So, believer in Christ, let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad we have that kind of Savior? I mean, does it just make you happy to think that this is our Savior? That, for example, that we have a Savior who really cares about poverty. Now listen, last, last year... 10% of the students in the New York City public school system spent at least some portion of the scholastic year living in a condition of homelessness. Right, 10%. There's over a million students in, in, in our school system. So that means, listen, over 100,000 children in New York City were homeless at some point last year. Christian, aren't you so glad that... If, imagine if a... Imagine if a, a, an unbelieving friend of yours quoted those statistics to you and then said, So can you tell me? What does your Jesus think about that? Aren't you glad that you don't have to say to her, Well, he doesn't really care about stuff like that? He just wants to get people to heaven. He doesn't care if kids are homeless. Aren't you glad we don't have to say that? We have a Savior who really cares, really loves each one of those children. Um, this here talks about prisoners being set free. And listen. You've heard the national discussion. Listen, across the political spectrum right now, everyone agrees we have a serious problem. The highest rate of incarceration in the world, over 2 million people behind bars. Believer, aren't you glad? We have a Savior who cares about every one of those incarcerated people. Every man, every woman, every young person who's locked up in America say, Jesus knows them. Who cares about them? Does this just make you happy to have a Savior like that? Now, some of you, maybe you have a grumpy un- uncle who would right now say, but yeah, but most of those people are guilty. Okay. But believer, aren't you glad we have a Savior who still cares about us, even if we've done something wrong? I don't know where I would be if we didn't have that kind of Savior. And you read here in Isaiah that he He cares about those really secret hurts and shame. Deep inside, he really wants to heal that. This chapter says that the Messiah will, verse 1, bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? It says, verse 7, that those, those who are just covered with shame, he will give them everlasting joy. Listen. Maybe you are feeling really broken or discouraged or depressed today. Aren't you glad that you have a Savior who cares about healing you deep inside? So his mission, it's don't just limit this to getting people saved, right? No, listen, we have a bigger Savior than that. His, the Messiah's mission is this complete, full-orbed, earth-reaching plan of God to restore everything. One author named Michael D. Williams wrote this, the goal of redemption is nothing less than the restoration of the entire cosmos. The scope of redemption is cosmic. Through Christ, God determined to reconcile all things to himself. So first thing we learned about the Messiah's mission is that it is complete. Second thing we can infer from this chapter is that his mission is incomplete. Here's what I mean. You look at the world around you, you can't help but reach the conclusion that at this moment in time, everything described here in Isaiah chapter 61 has not yet been done. There's a lot of things here that haven't yet been done. For example, Isaiah 61 promises that God will give prosperity to his redeemed people. None of his redeemed ones will live in poverty or want or hunger. Uh, End of verse 6 says, you will feed on the wealth of the nations. Really? You know, the nation of Uganda is 84% Christian. It is a much more of a Christian nation than the United States is. And yet the average Ugandan lives on less than $2 a day. In thousands and thousands of people in this world who love Jesus just as much or more than we do, they're, they're worried about getting enough calories in, into their children's bodies today so they can survive. That's, that's good news for the poor. Or 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 what about how Isaiah 61 promises that through the Messiah God will put an end to all oppression? Beginning of verse 8. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Yet there are 40 nations in the world today where Christians are being directly persecuted for their faith. There are Christian leaders, men and women, right now behind bars because they love Jesus. It's justice. Or, you know, there's this promise that the Messiah comes, verse 2, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Messiah takes sorrow away and gives people joy. Does that always happen? You know, one of the, the great... English language hymn writers in the 1700s is a, is a, a, a hymnist named William Cooper. William Cooper came to faith in Christ in a mental institution where he had been sent after attempting suicide. He, you know, he's in this moment of despair. He comes to faith in Christ. He, he, he gives his life to Jesus, walks out of that mental institution. And spent the rest of his life continually struggling with debilitating chronic depression. It never went away. That's the oil of joy. That's a garment of praise. Listen, I I don't mean to make this seem awkward here, but we just need to be honest. You read Isaiah 61, you can't avoid the question if Isaiah 61 is a description of the mission of the Messiah. And if Jesus really is the Messiah. You know, here's the question. Why haven't all these things been accomplished? Is it maybe because the Bible isn't true? Or is it because God isn't faithful? Or is it because we're all wrong? Jesus is not the Messiah. No, listen. The reason there are parts of this mission that are still incomplete is because he's still fulfilling his plan. In other words, he's going to come back again. Jesus will return again. This is one of the things that that Jesus talked about frequently. His his apostles taught this clearly. Is this, in the plan of God for the redemption of this planet, Messiah comes twice. He comes twice. There are two advents. Advent means arrival. It means his coming. There are two advents. the, the, The first time, okay, we know the story. He came in weakness, right? He was born in a stable. He was raised in obscurity. He he lived in poverty. He died on a cross to atone for sins. First time he came in weakness. The second time, guys, he will come in glory. He will come with power. He will raise the dead. He will judge the world. He will vanquish his enemies. And believer, listen to me. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Every tear. Hebrews 9, verse 28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, he already did that, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He will come again, and then he will get the job done. If you've read the, what is it, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe um, You know, the land of Narnia is under a curse, deep freeze. It's the land where it's always winter, but it's never Christmas, right? But do you remember there there were a handful of creatures in Narnia that believed? They believed the promise that one day Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in the book, that he would come. And so who was it that said this? Was it Mr. Beaver who said this? Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight, At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter will meet its death. When he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Jesus will come someday. It'll be spring again. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse and found. Here's the point, though. He will come again. You know, um, don't you hate this? Retailers this time of year, they always, they always get me so nervous. They keep announcing how many shopping days are left till Christmas. You know, it's 20 days, 15, 10. I'm like, no, no, please. Uh, you know, you, the, because of uh, horror of horrors, the last thing you want to do is wake up on December 25th and you don't have something for your sister in law. You know, it's, that would be the end of the world. You, you'd be ready for Christmas. Well, Jesus would tell us, listen, there's something more important to be ready for than that. He said, be ready for my return. I am coming again. The day when he comes back will be, listen, let's just be clear. It'll be a day of deep remorse and sorrow for many, many people. Anyone who's neglected Jesus or forsaken him, turned their back on him. it's It's hard to imagine. It's just hard to imagine the beginning of sorrow. At that moment, that will never end. But for those who've trusted Him, guys, the Bible just kind of—you—you you read the words of the apostles; they're just kind of grappling for words. They, they, they can say we can't even describe. We can't even envision the joy we will have. So I think the question this suggests we ought to ask is: Are you? Are you ready for His return? Here's what I mean. Are Are you a Christian? Are you a real Christian? Have you you turned from your sins? Are you trusting Jesus, just resting on him for your salvation and following him by faith? If so, you're ready. You're ready. So his his mission is is complete. It's just to to fix everything, and yet it's still incomplete, right? Because he hasn't come back again. So Three things about his mission, it's complete, it's incomplete. And one more thing, the Messiah's mission is costly, very costly. So the, the question I ask about this passage is, all right, how is the Messiah, how is he going to do all this? You know, how, how will the Messiah remove all the effects of sin, all the curse of sin from everywhere in the world and, and, and just somehow replace this with the blessing of God? And the answer to that question, I think, is found in one little word that appears three times in verse 3 of this passage. And the word is, instead. Notice that word. He will bestow his on his people a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So that this word, instead, signifies exchange. i not just saying he'll give you this in addition. I'll give you, like... like um, He doesn't just come to people who are, you know, head to toe, covered with ashes, and then place a crown of beauty on top of their ash-stained head. He doesn't do that. Or he doesn't just come to people who are, are, you know, filled with mourning and then Dump oil of joy on top of their mourning and their sorrow. Or he doesn't just come people who have a spirit of despair and just kind of mask it, cover it up with with this garment of praise. No, he exchanges. He takes away. He takes away our sorrow, our heartbreak, the ugliness of our sin, and then he replaces these things with what? With his beauty, his wholeness, his joy. It's a a word that signifies what's kind of like a trade. When my kids were little, they, um, they used to collect Pokemon cards. Some of you are probably big-time collectors here, I'm sure. They, 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 they wanted to get the whole set of cards, so they would often trade with their friends. They would say, you know, I'll, I'll, give, you my, I'll give you my Squirtle for your Charmander, right? Or I'll give you my Pikachu for your Jigglypuff. Oh, well, let's trade. I'll, you can have what's mine. I'll take what's yours. That's what, that's what exchanging is. That's what trading is. Guys, listen. That's what Jesus did for those who trust him. That's what he did for us on the cross. It's just this trade. He said, listen, I'll I'll tell you what. I will will give you my beauty. You give me your shame. All right? Your shame is mine. My beauty is yours. Or he says, you know what? You, you, You give me your sorrow, and I'll give you my joy. Let's make it We'll trade. All right? Let's trade. Or he says this. I'll take the guilt of all your sin. Trade you. Take the guilt of all your sin. You can have my righteousness. Trade you. Let's trade. If you, if you hear that, you would say, that is not a very good trade. You're not thinking, Messiah. That's not a very good trade. It's going it's to cost you everything. It's going to cost us nothing. Why, why are you doing this? You know what he says? Because I've come to do my Father's will, and my Father loves you, and I love you. And I've come to make my blessings flow. Into every crevice where the curse has soaked into your life. Let's trade. It's a costly mission for him, right? Isaiah, a few chapters before this, he talked about that. Isaiah 53, again, describing the work of the Messiah, says this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So his, this complete mission that he will finish one day. To fix everything. Cost him everything. And believer, he did this for you. So I think you ought to be very encouraged by that. If you if you've if you've come to trust Christ, listen to me. The fact that He was willing to do this for you, this ought to just. Will you let this encourage you today? You realize how dearly He loves you. You, you realize that. What does it say in, in Philippians one verse six? He who be we can be confident of this. He who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. He doesn't start the job and then. Leave it off, half done. He's given everything for you, believer. Just let that encourage you how much He loves you. And for those, maybe you're not a believer, I think you ought to be encouraged by this too. Because everything that Jesus offers in this trade, He's offering it today to you. It can all be yours. He'll take your ashes. He'll give you His crown of beauty. He'll, 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 he'll take uh, your sorrow. He'll give you his joy, oil of joy. He'll take, he'll take all your sin right now. deal is on the table. He'll give all of his righteousness to you. And all you have to do is just, I guess, just say yes, right? I want that. I hope that will encourage you to respond with faith. So this is our Messiah, the one that we sing about this time of year. Think about him lying there in a little manger. Think about that, rejoice in that, but realize he, oh man, he came to do a lot more than just lie in the manger, didn't he? He came to fix the world. He came to heal our hearts. He came to make all things new. Let's pray together. We are grateful, Father, for the Savior you sent us. We pray that you will fill us with joy at the thought of who he is. We pray that you will give us grace to respond to the gift of Jesus with faith in Jesus. And that we will live to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.